Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, friend. Welcome back to Adrenaline on Realm. I'm your host, Neil Helligers, and this is The Signal, Episode 3. Please enjoy. It's the top of the hour, Dayton. This is Evan Bell bidding you welcome to WKOR's UFOs Tonight, a radio talk show unsanctioned by the government, yet dedicated to exploring the most compelling mysteries of our night skies, come what may. Thank you to our sponsor, Albers Supermarkets, where you will find the freshest produce and all variety of meats butchered daily. Take heed, listeners, Thursday is double coupon day. Green stamps are distributed at the registers and layaway is gladly accepted on all non-perishable items. For tonight's topic, our panel of experts will be tackling what is believed by many to be aliens among us, communicating with others of their kind through mysterious shortwave radio transmissions like these. Every night, there are dozens of these bizarre recordings being broadcast across the globe. But we don't know exactly from where, or who is sending them, or what they mean, or who they're meant for. But we can guess, can't we? Dr. Richard Neely, an astrophysicist from the Palomar Institute of Astronomy and an expert in signal intelligence during the war, is playing the thankless role of skeptic on tonight's broadcast. Good evening, doctor. Thank you, Evan. Good to be here. Glad to be with you. You've heard these recordings. We've all heard them. Sieben, sechs, vier, neun, neun. I'll put it to you straight, Doctor. What are they? Well, I can tell you definitively that there's absolutely no information contained within the signals, at least in the ones I've studied. No information? Mm -hmm. 
Yet they've been bombarding the radio waves seven days a week, 24 hours a day for at least a decade. Many since the late 40s. That seems like quite a commitment for the transmission of nothing. No, I'm not saying they're meaningless. Only that there is no hidden message within the signal itself. Now, we need to distinguish between the various types of mysterious shortwave signals, may I? Please. Take this one, for example. Or this one. Or this. If you're asking what they have in common, it's obviously the sequence of five code letters or numbers. Only these are not codes per se, since theoretically codes can be cracked and these letter and number sequences cannot. I hear you, but I'm not buying it. Not yet. Each of these broadcasts consists of two parts. The interval signal, which is generally unique and is often 2 to 12 musical bars or tones or beeps or bells. The interval signal telegraphs that what's to follow is a coded message consisting of a sequence of letters or most likely numbers, often in groupings of five. I hate to step on your sermon, Doc, but you just said code. Uh, coded actually. But before we proceed, I think it might help to differentiate between types of radio signals. You are broadcasting your radio show at a fixed point on the AM dial. Bingo! That's how we keep our listeners coming back and how we manage to woo our advertisers. <laughs> Yet, your powerful 50,000-watt broadcast is considered local in that your high-frequency radio signal can only travel in a straight line. Because of this, your signal eventually becomes lost as the radio waves bump into obstacles on their way to the horizon. We have listeners tuning in from over a hundred miles outside of Dayton. That's not small potatoes, Doc. Just ask the folks at Albers Supermarkets. Uh, no, it isn't. But shortwave radio frequencies can be heard many thousands of miles away. This is because shortwave frequencies can bounce off of charged particles in the upper atmosphere, which allows them to zigzag between the Earth and the sky all over the globe. Like aliens in UFOs. <laughs> I'm sure that's more in the realm of your area of expertise, Evan, than mine. Though I do believe the term UFO, or unidentified flying object, refers to any unexplained aerial phenomena. We use it here on my show to refer solely to suspected alien spacecraft piloted by extraterrestrial beings. Ah, uh, very well. <clears throat> Basically, shortwave radio signals, the basis for all international radio, operate at a relatively low frequency. Because fewer waves pass through a single point at every second, it means that they can travel a lot further. 
I'm so glad we cleared that up, Doc, but everything you've just said leaves me with more questions than answers. Welcome to the physicist world! <laughs> if I hear you right, these shortwave signals can originate from pretty much anywhere on Earth. Mm, basically true. Which is why their broadcast locations are impossible to trace. Well, the general geographic area might be discernible, but not necessarily to the precise origination point. So, you are correct. So, according to you, we don't know where they are coming from or whom they're meant for. <laughs> well, no, uh, not exactly. And they do have a name. They're called... Numbers stations. We're pretty certain whom these signals are meant for. Want to share, Doctor? Spies. Spies? Perhaps submarines as well, or surveillance ships at sea, but mostly for spies in the field. It's through these broadcasts that spies, among them undoubtedly the crafty Soviet Russians, receive instructions from their handlers or their governments. This is the era of Cold War espionage. The number stations are a symptom of our modern day and age. But you said, and I quote, there is no hidden message in the signal itself. And I stand by that claim. The sequence of numbers broadcasted will most likely correspond to a pre-established sequence of numbers in a spy's codebook. Each working spy probably has hundreds of them. Each separate grouping of numbers means something different. Perhaps one sequence of five numbers will correspond to something like uh, be at the cafe at noon in Hamburg on Monday, or pick up the package at the tobacconists this weekend, or, God forbid, execute the senator at his ranch at first opportunity. This way... Through the signal from the number station, a spy can pick up his instructions from anywhere, provided he has access to a shortwave radio. He doesn't need to risk capture by meeting with his counterpart in a park or by retrieving a message at a dead drop. He doesn't have to depend on a telephone or posted letters. He can be half a continent away from his handlers when he tunes in, and there is no way to trace who is listening to any given shortwave broadcast? Possibly hundreds, if not thousands of people are eavesdropping voyeurs tuned in to number stations' signals every day. The message itself is not a secret, but only the spy who is in possession of a code book will be able to ascertain what it means. Everyone else will be mystified. So... Basically, the spy has a decoder ring from a box of Cracker Jack listing the letter or number combinations for a prearranged number station. Well, uh, that's rather simplistic, but you are essentially correct. Then wouldn't you say that this same rather ingeniously simplistic system will work just as efficiently for the aliens among us? You mean your UFO aliens? Uh, theoretically, yes, I suppose it could. How much better can it be than to hide in plain sight amongst an already established Cold War secret communications network? The mothership, or even a home planet, can broadcast shortwave radio signals disguised as number station communiques, and the aliens who have inserted themselves into our population can tune in to get their instructions, just like the Cold War spies. Indiscernible from human spies, in fact. Well, 
I suppose. But the voices delivering the numbers or letters, you've heard them. <laughs> They're clearly human. Easily achievable through a voice synthesizer. That's more in your area of expertise than mine, Evan. In fact, any number of these number stations could be operated by extraterrestrial beings. That's not a known fact. Neither is your theory about Soviet Russians being the senders and Cold War spies being the recipients of the messages. Well, it's widely accepted as being a fact by our government intelligence services. Are you talking about the same government agencies who have been denying the existence of UFOs for more than a decade? who have been engaged in an active cover-up and public disinformation campaign about numerous sightings and crash sites and abductions all over the United States, who have silenced eyewitnesses to landings or close encounters with either cash or threats or both, who have repeated... Would an extraterrestrial alien even have access to a shortwave radio? Is that a joke? An observation couched as a question then the answer to your question would be, why wouldn't they? The counterpoint answer would be, why would they? If they can fly here from another galaxy, possibly light years in the distance, they surely must have a pre-established method of intercommunication that is more along the lines of some yet-to-be-imagined bioneural networking system rather than something so rudimentary as earthbound shortwave radio signals. Where were you born, Dr. Neely? What? It's just that I'm wondering why you changed your name from Nevsky to Neely in 1947. <laughs> uh, I did so legally. Nevsky is Russian, isn't it? I really, really don't know where you're going with this, Evan. Your expertise is in signal communications. I would imagine our listeners find that suspicious. Very suspicious. Uh, suspicious? In, in what way? I, I surely don't know what you mean by F Time again to pay some bills, folks. Our next segment is sponsored by Fred's Mufflers and Brakes out on the highway. Hello, friend. This is Neil Helligers, host of Adrenaline Realms Thriller Channel, and I'm here to talk to you a little bit more about the Greenlight app. And this message is, of course, sponsored by Greenlight, but I was using, our family was using the Greenlight app uh, even before the first ad in a wonderful, thrilling, cosmic coincidence, right? See what I did there? So again, to catch you up, Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. Basically, the way it works is that parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving, and you can see exactly how much money they have in their account, and there's different ways to give them money. What we've been doing is on a, like a weekly allowance, a certain amount that goes into his account every week. So in order to further the conversation about money and about earning, uh, we're using Greenlight as a kind of a foundation for that conversation. Uh, in other words, instead of just the allowance he gets for a certain base things that he's expected to do around the house, uh, we are also adding the chore feature, which is certain one-time payments for certain one-time jobs. For example, in our house, we're trying to encourage our son to start walking the dog more. He's old enough for it, he's responsible enough for it, and he's done it enough that he knows what to do. So he can really see that for all those extra times that he 
steps up and does the dog walk, he gets rewarded for that job well done. And this is the conversation in life. When you work a little extra harder, you get a little extra compensation and you can either save that up or spend it how you like. And we're not alone in this. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's a very easy and very convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and for families to navigate life together. So sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash adrenaline. That's greenlight.com slash adrenaline to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash adrenaline slash 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 slash. So thrilling, right? Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yes? Home from the hospital already, Colonel Sobek. That's good. You must be feeling better. I brought flowers. May I come in? My wife isn't here at the moment. I know. I waited until she drove away. Beauty parlor appointment, isn't it? A standing appointment for a set and comb out every Wednesday, my sources tell me. Who are you? Are you British? American now. I have a code name, but I prefer to communicate face to face on a first name basis. Call me Rosemary, and I'll call you Edward. Edward. You're the woman down in the quadrangle, the one waving her arms. I'm actually the woman on your front porch holding a get-well bouquet of flowers like a penitent in a Day of the Dead parade. They're surprisingly heavy. My home address is not a matter of public record. Do you really think I'm a member of the public, Edward? You better come in. Please sit down. Thank you. I will. I didn't mean beside me. I meant over there. So much cozier this way. The missing files have been returned to your office. Surreptitiously, of course. You needn't worry about any subsequent fallout from their disappearance. You're connected to Swan. I've come for a visit in person because I know you wish to discuss something with him, but never got the chance. I didn't plan to have a discussion. Interrogation, then? (laughs) Swan would have told you nothing. You could have asked him pointed questions until you were blue in the face. That cagey customer can evade and stonewall with the best of them. Far past when the cows come home or even succumb to old age. So I suppose this is you picking up where he left off. That's why you're here? 1952. Oh, I hope you're not going to tell me that we had a one-night stand at a NATO summit that year. I would have certainly remembered if we had, Edward. Please don't put your hand on my thigh like that. I too recently had a health scare. Barely skirting death does make one more appreciative of the pleasures of mortal life, wouldn't you say so? My wife has taken away my cigarettes, put me on a diet. Whatever pleasures I enjoyed are gone. 
Well, except for golf. Golf has its perks, Edward. Fresh air and honest exercise at the very least. 1952 was the year. In April, to be precise, when life, then and still one of the most popular magazines in the United States, as you probably well know, published a story entitled, Have We Visitors from Space? Catchy title, don't you think? I may have seen it. We have a subscription to Life magazine. And to Playboy, too, I would imagine. Hey, I enjoy the articles. They are excellent. I'm sure you do, big boy. Life magazine promised scientific evidence that there is a real case for interplanetary sources. If you say so. The result? By July of that year, there were countless newspaper headlines reporting flying saucers swarming Washington, D.C. I may have heard something about that. I'm sure you did. The number of monthly UFO sightings officially reported to the U.S. Air Force went soaring up from 23 to 148, more than a six-fold increase. That's a thorny problem, isn't it? In the middle of a surging Cold War, when public anxiety about the Soviet communists ranges from fears of widespread psychological warfare to terror of complete nuclear obliteration, Rampant reports of UFO sightings become increasingly problematical. Well, or a welcome distraction for the masses, like the popularity of horror movies during the Great Depression, Frankenstein and Dracula and pictures like that. An excellent point, Edward. Though paranoia tends to grow and consume everything in its path rather than differentiate between sources of pervasive unease. True. Oh, I do understand. Believe me, I do. The field tests in 1952 flowed naturally from the Project Mogul experiments. Excuse me? Project... What, what did you call it? <laughs> oh, oh, a smart man has a hard time playing ignorant, doesn't he? Project Mogul. Roswell, New Mexico, 1947. Top Secret Atomic Espionage Project. Ring a bell? Ding, ding. The origin of the current UFO conspiracy mania. That 200 yards of recovered wreckage that poor rancher stumbled across had tongues wagging from coast to coast. Flying disc crashes, the papers screamed. That was a weather balloon. Please, handsome. It wasn't and you know it. But it was no alien spacecraft either. No self-respecting extraterrestrial is going to assemble a flying saucer from rubber strips, tinfoil, wooden sticks and scotch tape. How would you know? Trust me, I know. Then... Instead of lying low, what do you bright boys go and do less than five years later? Start yet another battery of field tests, again in New Mexico, which, if you ask me, was ill-advised, if not just plain dumb. But it was quite a sight for those who witnessed it out there on the mesa. Dummy drops, alien bodies raining down from the sky. But they weren't so much alien as manufactured, were they? Dummies with latex skin and aluminum bones hurriedly retrieved by military vehicles. If there were such a project, that would also be top secret. Undoubtedly. There was. There probably is nothing sinister behind it. Just testing new ways for pilots to survive falls, theoretically. But to those who were inflamed by the mystery at Roswell a few years earlier, this was adding fuel to the already flaming fires of paranoia. Quite a clever turn of phrase there, Rosemary. Thank you, Edward. 
Because of the conspiracy theories surging out of control at the time, the CIA was forced to initiate a secret national policy concerning what should be told to the public in order to minimise the risk of panic and to avoid growing national hysteria. Then I suppose that makes you and Mr. Swan CIA. Now that's about as likely as you being assigned to Project Blue Book in 1952 and having the whole top secret endeavour headquartered right here in Dayton, Ohio at the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which happens to be less than a mile from this very house. I have no idea what you're talking about. A secret government-sanctioned inquiry into UFOs? Ring a bell? Ding, ding. Afraid not. Neither of said word is authorized to confirm or deny much of anything, are we? Brings us to a stalemate. Well, then why are you here, Rosemary? Give you flowers and get well wishes. I did not think after what transpired in your office that you would welcome a second visit from Mr. Swan. Damn straight. That bastard nearly killed me. No, that's not true. It was decades of not resisting that second helping of dessert that nearly took you down, Edward. I don't mean to cast blame or aspersions, but... I believe it's your wife who's at least partially to blame for your cardiac infarction. Estella's a great cook. Are culinary skills the best attribute of a wife? We've been married for nearly 30 years. Would you say you've been satisfied the whole time? How do you manage to stay so slim, Rosemary? Daily calisthenics, a weekly golf game, and herbal tea. Your fingers are warm, Edward. May I put my hand here? My wife could be home in any minute. She's not due for another half hour, so my driver will honk twice when her car turns the corner. That's not my thigh, Rosemary. I know. Every document I've ever seen consists of the text and the white space. It's only the text that's ever redacted. Have you noticed that? And yet, it's the white space that's always seemed to me that's the most provocative in what it doesn't say. What doesn't it say? Perhaps those silences are worth exploring at a greater depth for our mutual benefit. Are you trying to turn me? Is it working? Turn is not how I would describe this. Turn you on is more apt in the current vernacular. We're on the same side, Edward. I'm merely seeking to join forces, to share information, among other things. What things? Golf, perhaps, or an afternoon of shared appreciation of the white spaces. I would have thought that. What? The agency would send some 25-year-old simpering honeypot to your door. (laughs) What fun would there be in that for a man of your years and sophistication? None whatsoever. Mm, I knew that. In our respective worlds, Edward, it's experience that counts. It's mileage that reveals character. It's... Don't fret, Edward, darling. This is just the beginning. 
Sir? Sir? Mr. Swan? Oh, there you are, sir. What are you looking at up in the sky? I didn't know you had a shortwave. Great fun, aren't they? Just last night I heard an entire radio show about those numbers stations. On this local station it was. Very informative. It's not a numbers station. Did you hear any numbers being spoken aloud? No, but it sounds a lot like it though. Weird. Really strange. A vixen sounds like a banshee, but they're nothing alike. You stargazing, sir? Looking for shooting stars? <laughs> Communicating with your home planet? <laughs> uh, sorry, a bad joke. The North Star. See? It's visible just there. Yes, sir, I see it. But I might not have known that's what it was. I get it confused sometimes with Venus. They call Venus the Morning Star, don't they? Only Venus isn't a star, it's a planet. And it appears mostly in the early evening. Never could figure that one out. Morning Star. <laughs> what the hey? True North. Isn't that what they call it? Fishermen use the North Star to find their way out in the ocean. It's our true North now, but it hasn't always been. Polaris marks the general region of Earth's celestial pole at this moment purely by chance. 5,000 years ago, it did not. Nor will it 13,000 years from now. Your fishermen of the future will forever be lost at sea. But right now, that's all we've got, sir. That's what my dad always told me. True North is true North. You lose your compass or something? See that constellation there? Lying on the plain of the Milky Way like a dazzling cross? That's the asterism known as the Northern Cross, a part of the constellation Cygnus. Cygnus? Those upper two stars marking the tip of the Northern Cross? They approximate the position of the North Celestial Pole for Mars. Well, imagine that. Those pesky Martians from the Red Planet have their very own true north. Don't we all? Cygnus is a Latinized Greek word for swan. There's a fun fact coincidence for you, sir. My daughter and I made a pack years ago. Each night we both gaze up at the Northern Cross for a few moments when it first becomes visible in the night sky, wherever we are. And for that too brief period of time, we believe we can reach out across time and space to stand beside each other. Aw, oh, that's really nice. I didn't know you had a daughter, sir. Hell, I didn't even know you were married. What's your daughter's name, if you don't mind my asking? Her name is Anastasia. What do you want, Phillips? I got the, um, items that you wanted, sir. Two vials, and a syringe, rubber tubing, alcohol wipes. Deadly concoction if you don't know how to administer it. If you don't mind my asking... I do mind. Now please, leave me in peace for a few minutes. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. <laughs> when I was bound apprentice in famous Lincolnshire, I served my master truly for nearly seven odd year. Till I took up to poaching as usual quickly here. Oh, tis my delight on a shining night in the season of the year. My, 
Majuski Baju, Nila Zresia Nakraju, Pridiot Siriki Bauchok, Iu Fuatet Zabachok, Iu Taishit Falasok, Patra Hitomi Kusto. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. The Signal is created by Cassandra Wells and Charlie Randazzo. Written by Cassandra Wells. Produced by Fred Greenhalge and Marco Palmieri. Directed by Charlie Randazzo. Executive produced by Cassandra Wells, Daniel Kamen, Molly Barton, and Julian Yap. Performed by Daniel Kamen, Perry King, Marta Cross, Adam J. Smith, Tracy Winters, Time Winters, Harry Gawillam, Tom Beyer, Jeff Blumberg, Mark Irvingson, Jackson Gawillam, and Jennifer Taub. Sound design and editing by Charlie Randazzo. Music by Quiet on the Set. Additional cover art by Heather Mason. Production manager, Devin Shepard. Production coordinator, Angela Yee. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolihi. You're listening to Adrenaline, The Signal. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Adrenaline is produced by Nicole Kreuter and Kaylin West. Associate produced by Devin Shepard. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Hosted by Neil Helligers. Audio editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Marcus Bagala. Original cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Adrenaline by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. <laughs>